Mark 7, uh, starting at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. When I was a kid, I had a lot of rules to follow. Is that how you remember your childhood? I feel like I was weighed down with rules and guidelines. Politeness, courtesy, safety, fork in the left hand, knife in the right. Who came up with that one and why does everyone still have to follow it, regardless of which hand they write with? I didn't understand then and I, I still don't now. 
Another one, smile whenever your photo is taken. What's with that? Why is that necessary? I can remember a lot of photo opportunities where I got smacked for not smiling. And my photo album is filled, a family photo album, filled with me smiling that smile. <laughs> Knowing that I could see, as I looked at that photo, just what had happened in the few seconds before that photo was taken. But when I became a parent, I was astounded by all of the rules I had to now come up with. Things I thought unnecessary to say now became something that needed to be codified, stated and enforced. No, darling, no, we don't eat spiders in this family. No, 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 we don't walk on the road unless we're holding a parent's hand. Uh, no, new family rule, everyone. No, we don't toboggan down the stairs. And my favourite, no, we will not be using the hairdryer in the bath in this family. <laughs> Such common sense needed to be enforced as a rule because the actual goal was noble to save a child from certain death. Good rules show love. No wonder parents can get into such a rule-making frenzy. But the rule-making frenzy is not just a trap for parents. It can seep into other areas of life. I think it can lead to us making rules in our religion as we decide what is right and start locking in good rules to live by. But then those laws get so complex that they start working against what is right. It can happen for parents, and I'll get to that later, but it also happened in Jesus' time, and that's where we're reading from today. The setting for today's passage is a confrontation between the religious experts and Jesus, where it's clear that the religious experts are in a rule-making frenzy. Not just the Pharisees, but generations and generations of the nation of Israel has gone on a rule-making frenzy where rules initially good have become more and more complex and started squeezing out love in the name of tradition. Let's pick it up from verse 2. They, the religious experts, saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of elders when they come from the marketplace. They do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. The author's narration in this passage is really helpful. Mark doesn't just report what is said and done, but he gives some background, some context as well. Here in verse 3, he tells us the Jews wash their hands to avoid being considered unclean. Now, when the Pharisees say, you wash your hands before dinner... That's not like when your mum said, you wash your hands before dinner. I mean, we know that washing now is helpful for getting rid of germs before you put food in your mouth. 
and keeping people healthy. But that's not why the Pharisees did it. The Pharisees didn't have our understanding of germs. No, their reason was tradition. That's what Mark says here in verse 3, a ceremonial washing. They give their hands a ceremonial washing. A helpful way to think about this is like baptism. We baptise the baby. We don't actually suggest that we are washing the baby. No, we are signifying the washing that makes them pure and whole again. It's a sign, a ceremony that signifies the cleansing that God provides. So too, when the Old Testament book of Leviticus gives laws about washing, it's only ever ceremonial. Just how we do things to show that we are part of God's people. And when the Pharisees have imposed washing rules, extra rules, it's not really clear that they understand why these washing rules came about. Because in Leviticus, there are only a couple of times that washing was required. But the Pharisees have taken it to the nth degree. Mark already told us that the Pharisees have added to their washing laws that you must wash before you eat and that you must wash when you come back from the marketplace. That's not in Leviticus. There's no basis for that in the Bible. These are additionally complex laws that have been added. It seems they are now tradition. Perhaps the Leviticus laws gave the Pharisees a hint that actually washing was a good idea. And so they took washing to the nth degree. You can look at a traditional list of washing requirements from the Pharisees and the religious experts and it's clear that it's gone to the nth degree. One traditional list cites the following extra times for washing. Whenever you are in the presence of Gentiles or tax collectors, you are going to need a ceremonial washing. Even more extreme, if you touch the pages of religious teachings that are not in Hebrew, you are going to need a ceremonial washing. Now, those of you who understand a bit of the Old Testament might recall that there are some books of the Old Testament that include chapters that aren't written in Hebrew. The books of Daniel and Ezra. Not all of that is written in Hebrew. Some of the passages are not written in Hebrew. And yes, even if you handled those Old Testament passages, the Pharisees would say, you are now unclean and you need a ceremonial washing. It's clear that there's no health benefit here. It's empty ceremony that saw even parts of the Bible as being unclean, as making you unclean for interacting with it. And as a result, there was a lot, a lot of washing. How could you be sure that you had washed every bit of you that may have come into contact with these things that could make you unclean. How could you be sure? I know, build a plunge pool. You know those trendy pools that are around that only really house one or two people and you can just dip in and 
maybe sip your cocktail or whatever, first century Jewish homes were doing that first. They often included such a pool like, like a sheep dip that when you came home from the marketplace, you would into the plunge pool so that you could be fully washed and then you could come out and enjoy your lunch, knowing that you were fully covered, fully clean. Verse 4 tells us there were even rules for washing cups, dishes and kettles. It turns out there were even rules for washing couches and beds. And so the religious leaders ask Jesus why his disciples don't wash before they eat. Jesus' response is a withering attack. Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrite originally meant an actor, a person on a stage play wearing a mask that hid who they really were so they could have the appearance of the person they were acting. So they could look a certain way on the outside. In the same way, these strict washing traditions made it possible for the Pharisees to look a certain way on the outside, but inside they were not right. But inside, it was hidden that they had no love for God just external tradition and ritual. They imposed a series of higher and higher and more complex hurdles for people to go through, just designed to keep the people under control, thinking about external ritual rather than about what was really a problem inside, thinking more about rules than they were about God. And to make the point, Jesus quotes Isaiah, one of the heroes of the Jewish people. But he quotes the part of Isaiah that is attacking the leaders of Israel, accusing them of pretending to be law-abiding, all the while making rules that mask their true hearts, just like masks in a stage play. You know, as a father... I've observed how rules can become more complex to mask the true nature of things. Take the simple games that children play, the game of tip. The the aim is pretty simple. Have fun while trying not to get tipped. But as a parent, I've officiated over very complex legal arguments about what is the definition of getting tipped. It's... It's brought children to tears, even sometimes to blows. The aim of the game is to have fun, but the rules become more and more complex so that people can actually be hateful as they enforce those rules. If children can make rules that lead to hate, so too can grown-ups. And so in our next section, Jesus shows the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders, how their arbitrary rules and loopholes get in the way of the loving intent of the laws that God had created. From verse 10, Moses said, 
actually, sorry, let me go again. Yes, from verse 10. Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. So, of the ten commandments that God gave Moses, two come into focus here. One, honour your parents. Yes, I can see parents nodding. Good rule. And two... I am the Lord your God. You shall have no God before me. These two laws could come into conflict. What would happen if a parent told their child to disobey God's law? Well, the teachers of the law would rightly say, no, God comes first. Honour God before your parents. And so those lawyer types saw that this might become a good loophole for people to get out of honouring their parents completely. They came up with a new rule that they called Corban. Useful for selfish children who wanted to get out of doing anything that their parents wanted. If your dad wants you to put the bins out and you're on the couch chilling out with the iPad... You could say, no, every moment that I'm relaxing, I'm relaxing for God. I'm relaxing for God, so no, Dad, I can never put the bins out for you ever again because I'm on the couch for God. Corban. Funny, kids. (laughs) What about adults? You might have set aside money for a holiday but mum and dad could really use that money right now? And if they ask for some, just tell them that every bit of spare money that you've got, you are devoting for God. And then when you go on the holiday or you buy the new plasma screen TV, you just tell them, oh, well, that wasn't spare money. Easy. You've got out of honouring your parents by just devoting things to God, or at least saying you are. And that is Corban. Is that loving? No. Is God honoured by that? No. Instead of lovingly observing the law, parents become dishonoured as children invoke God's name to defend what is actually really selfish. Jesus condemns this legal loophole by saying that they are nullifying the word of God. He calls out the Pharisees as self-interested hypocrites and Jesus gives what is to be the real answer to the question of what makes a person clean or unclean. From verse 14, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. 
Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So, Jesus is clear. Nothing that goes into a person can defile him. Nothing that a person eats or walks on or touches can make them unclean. Nothing that a person eats or walks on or touches can make them unworthy of being part of God's family. Mark reinforces the point with some more context again in verse 19. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Did you eat prawns or ham yesterday? It's okay because of this verse. You can thank the passage for that because up till this point... Prawns and hams were no-go zones for God's people. But you can see Jesus' point that it's, it's not what touches a person or what they eat that makes them unfit for God. It's not what's in a person's stomach that's going to cause the problem. The real problem, all the hand-washing and baths in the world is not going to fix. The real problem are the problems that spring from our sinful hearts, just up from our stomachs. Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, murder. These are the things. Verse 20, Jesus went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside a man and make a man unclean. Or a woman. How can you wash these things away? Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, murder. These are things that no washing will fix. Shakespeare fans might remember the famous quote from Lady Macbeth. Her husband's just committed murder and he's feeling guilty about it. And she says, a little water will clear us of this deed. We know it doesn't work like that because as the play continues, we see her slowly go mad, washing and washing, trying to wash away her guilty conscience, which remains. The Jews too tried to clear their conscience by doing the washing ritual. And even today, there's certainly ways that we, metaphorically, try to wash away our guilt. You can come to church as though your attendance at church will make you okay with God. Will wash clean the problems that you've got in your heart. It doesn't work because the sin remains. You can try to wash away your guilt by giving money to charity. That doesn't work because the problem of sin in your heart remains. You can try being nice to people as though that's going to count in your favour on the day of judgement. What about if I just set a New Year's resolution? That's right, they're coming up. And enter the bad, I'll start doing good and that will make up for everything that's gone wrong in my life. And on that day of judgment, God will see that I have started doing right. No, 
You can't wash away your guilt that way. Think about it this way. If you had a broken down car, washing the car is not going to change its status. In fact, there's nothing more useless than a nicely polished, shiny car that doesn't start. The problem is under the bonnet, not on top of the bonnet. If you had a broken down car, you can polish it all you want, but really it's nothing more than a shiny paperweight. It doesn't do what it's supposed to. Jesus puts this another way in Matthew 23, where he says this sort of external washing to just look good would be like painting a grave to clean up the dead person. It might be a beautiful white monument on the outside, but inside is a rotting corpse. And that's what you are like on the inside, no matter how much you try to wash on the outside. We all face the problem of guilt in our heart. And it's not a problem that we can solve for ourselves. We can, well, to paraphrase one philosopher, we can hack away at the leaves of the unwanted tree, but instead we should be striking at the root. So too here, the root cause of the problem remains an unloving heart. It's out of a man's heart, Jesus says, that all these problems come. It can't be fixed by external ritual, no matter how complex that ritual is. Like a rotting corpse, we are incapable of addressing the problem that is inside us, that saves us from the penalty that our sins deserve. We need a saviour to do that job. If you're feeling the weight of guilt, the weight of sin in your life, I have good news for you, finally. The saviour we need has come. It's actually this same Jesus, Jesus himself, the one who exposed the sin of the Pharisee's heart, exposes the sin of you and me, is the self-same one who bears the punishment of that sin. He did that just outside Jerusalem when he was crucified on a cross, when he paid the penalty that yours and my sins deserve, death and separation from a holy God. It's a little bit ironic. The Jews expected Jesus to submit to their washing rules and Jesus refused. But instead he went on to submit to the much better washing the washing of their hearts by paying the penalty that their sins deserved. Jesus' death on the cross is the solution to the problem of your sinful heart. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We've all been separated from God. There is no one righteous, not even one. But while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for you and for me. Christ took the punishment we deserve and when you admit that you need help, when you confess your sins and when you put your trust in Jesus to pay the penalty, you are washed clean. Not just your hands or your face, but your heart, your problem heart and you are made clean and therefore worthy. 
to re-enter the relationship with a holy God and enjoy a relationship with him. So if Jesus has saved us, why do we need rules at all? Well, I think rules still have a benefit, but we can get carried away. In fact, even we get carried away when we risk being caught up in that rule-making frenzy, falling into the Pharisees' error and focusing on arbitrary rules rather than focusing on God our Father. I've been guilty of that as a parent. Have you? As a parent in my rule-making frenzy, I actually interrupted a church talk to discipline my son. The leader had just finished the kids' talk and then said, let's pray. And my son, sitting at the leader's feet, started praying. Dear God, he said, in the middle of the church while the leader was supposed to be talking. And so I stood up and said, William, it's not your turn. And the talk leader looked at me as though I were the one who was doing the wrong thing and said, don't interrupt your son while he is trying to pray. I was humbled, and I still am, and rightly so. I'd been so caught up in the tradition of politeness, of courtesy, in the tradition of respect, that I had told my child not to pray. I wonder what traditions you might have that get in the way of love that get in the way of the word of God. A lot of these traditions spring up around church attendance and as New Year's resolutions approach, maybe you need to think about that. Do any of these sound like you? One hour of church, that's enough each week. One church attendance each year. No, no, two. That's enough. God needs me to pray once a day And that's good enough. As long as I give a tenth of my income to church, no one could ever accuse me of not loving God. Well, none of these have a basis in the Bible. None. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 says the opposite. It says that Christ's death on a cross sets us Free. Free. And we should no longer be slaves to tradition, to ritual. It goes on to say that what really matters is faith expressed through love. Faith expressed through love. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should never come to church. I think church should become a habit, but it should not be slavery. It should not be ritual. I think giving money to church should become a habit, but it should not be slavery. It should not be ritual. It should not be external washing to cover over the problem of your sinful heart. That is not the reason we come to church. We are not trying to wash our guilty hearts clean. We are not trying to cover over our sinful heart like a mask. 
Jesus has paid the penalty and we are set free to express our faith through love. Thanking God every day, not just once a day, not just before the one meal, but through all the meal, through every meal, through every day. Not just once a week or once or twice a year, but every hour of every day, we are free now to express our faith through love. We should be, now that we are set free, free to worship God in the way that he wants by gathering together and encouraging each other to do it. Think about that when you're setting a New Year's resolution. I hope today's passage has been a challenge for you. The rule-making frenzy is dangerous if it hides the problem of our hearts. Only Jesus is capable of washing our hearts properly and he did that already on the cross. Put your faith in him. And if you have accepted that gift from Jesus, it's time to have another look at why you do what you do and allow yourself to be led not by arbitrary traditions and ritual but led by God's love. How about I pray for us? Lord, you expose the problem of our hearts. Jesus exposes the problem of our hearts, for from within out of our hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Lord, forgive us. Lord, allow the death of Jesus to take the place of the death that we deserve for our problem hearts and so wash us clean. And Lord, please help us to think about why we do what we do so that we respond in faith, not by putting on a mask. In Jesus' name, amen.